all of us, adults and children, have been patient. We're going to have a little bit of a children's activity, help us squirm again after all those announcements. My wife, Hallie, who is much better at giving you a reason not to squirm, is going to come up here and help our children some, and some of you too. So come on up. Right, first time up here. Oh, works. It works for me too. Good morning, everybody. I was just thinking as I sat there, I am so glad this is a church that is not about performance. I was just thinking, wow, I really don't have it together today, I feel like. So but I just I appreciate that mentality and the grace that comes with it. Um, so our family has some Advent traditions that we wanted to share a little bit with you all as our church family. Um, and we have found that celebrating Advent helps us really focus on why we're excited during the Christmas season and um, what it is that we're celebrating on Christmas. So instead of, we, I mean, we all know we all have the running around and all the fun parties, right, kids? We get to do the fun school parties. We have the fun Sunday school party. We're going to have a hot chocolate bar upstairs today to bring in the Advent with everybody. Um, so we have all of those things. We have the gorgeous decorations. We, we have the times of fellowship, right? But why are we doing all this? Why? And we have found that the Advent season helps our family really focus on what are we celebrating and remember throughout that um, Christ has come to earth for us. And we, that's what we are anticipating. Okay, so the word Advent, kids, listen up, because you're going to hear some of these words during Ben's sermon, and I'm going to tell you what these things mean right now, okay? All right, so Advent means the arrival of someone or something important. Something notable, something you want to remember, okay? So in some cases, people say, well, the advent of TV was, I don't know what year it is, right? That was notable. Everybody has a TV now, right? But we are anticipating the arrival of something so much better than that. Imagine, Imagine your birthday party. Do you wait and get excited about it all month? Raise your hand if you are super excited about your birthday the whole month of your birthday, right? Yeah, You're, I only get six days in my month so before I get to my birthday. But, but those six days, right, I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. We t- we've talked about what we're going to do to celebrate. I'm getting ready. You know, what am I going to wear? Where am I going to go? Make sure I invite everybody, right? You're, you're getting all the, the decorations and the, the, the gifts, the party favors ready, right? And let's be honest, we're excited about the gifts we're going to get too, right? What are we going to get to open, right? And there's that, some of that same excitement with Christmas, Wow, what am I going to open on Christmas, right? It's a big, fun, exciting day. But that is not what Christmas is about. We are spending the entire month of December waiting for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. So Advent means we're waiting for the coming of the King, the greatest gift of all, baby Jesus. And that baby Jesus is why we're going to get excited about Easter a few months later. Because God came to earth and he came with this specific purpose. So as we wait in December for our big Christmas day to celebrate the birth of Jesus, 
We want to help you guys anticipate. That's the other big word you're going to hear from Ben today is anticipation. And anticipation means waiting with eagerness and excitement. Right? So we're going to be reading the scriptures and learning about what are we eager and excited about? Why do we care about Christmas? And to help you guys do that, we have a special nativity over here. Can anybody tell me what is missing in this nativity? Mary and Joseph are missing. Who else? Wait, wait. Raise your hand. You got to raise your hand. Caleb, what's missing? Shepherds. Okay, I heard I heard Dawson say Mary and Joseph. Anybody else? What else is missing? Sheep. We don't have animals. What what do we have here? Can you guys see it? If you can't see it, come up front. This is a kids' family service. Come up front. If if adults can't see it, come see. It's not terribly interesting right now because it's quite empty, isn't it? Why do you think it's empty? It's a stable. Because Mary and Joseph haven't arrived yet. Mary and Joseph haven't arrived. And Jesus hasn't been born yet. And Jesus hasn't arrived. Jesus has not been born. We're anticipating his birth, right? So right now, it's an empty stable. Okay, I need three of you. Well, hold on. Before we do it. How long do you think people were waiting for the birth of Jesus? Lots. Lots. Do you think they had to wait longer than you wait for your birthday? Yeah, no, not sure. Anybody? Do you know, the whole Bible is about waiting for our Savior Jesus. The whole Bible. And so we have an activity for you guys. Every week, we're going to give you these coloring sheets. And I've got some special crayons for you. And each day during Advent, you can color another one of these pictures. And if you get excited and you want to color ahead, that's okay. But every day, there is something that's part of the story of the Bible and part of the story of waiting for Christmas that you get to color and read a verse. And we're going to start that today. So let me get you those. Now, in the Bible, the, um, the people of Israel, the Israelites, they had not heard a clear word from God for 400 years before Jesus was born. So before that, wait, wait, don't leave without your crayons. Anybody else who wants to come up and get the coloring sheets and crayons, now's your time. We ran out of, here's the performance thing, we ran out of paper, sorry. So I'm going to do my best to get one to everybody. If you don't get it this week, you'll get it next week. And every week we're going to have a new packet with the next seven days. Okay, and today has more than seven days because Advent started on December 1st. Okay. Yes. And we're going to do one set of crayons for each family. So you'll get to share. Do you see that stump there? I see that stump. It's the same as this one. It is the same as that one. Can you hold it up and let's show everybody? So Pastor Ben is going to be talking about a stump. Listen for the stump. While you're coloring the stump. Why in the world are we starting with a stump? You're about to find out. Did everybody get their sheets? We need crayons still, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're sharing with Caleb. There you go. Okay. All right, and you guys are going to share. We got one for each family. Here's mine. Did I not give you yours? I'm sorry. I took it away. Okay. So, um, you know what? I am going to have, I need three kid volunteers to help us out. Do you two want to, do you want to be two of them? 
Okay, who else wants to be a... All right, Caleb, come on up. Okay, okay, so the people of Israel were waiting 400 years. They had not heard a clear word from God. So when you finish reading the Old Testament and you get to the New Testament, there's actually like a 400-year time gap where the people did not get a clear word from God. They were waiting and waiting and waiting. All right, now, the wise men, they had a much shorter wait. They got in on this wait later, but they were still waiting, and they had a big, long journey. They were starting from way far away, and they had to do a big trip following the star to find Jesus, okay? So we need you guys to each take one wise man, and I need you to walk them back to the welcome center. They're going to start far away, and then every Sunday we're going to be moving them closer, okay? We're going to have different volunteers. So I need you guys to take these, walk them back to the welcome center, and then come on back. All right. Thank you. All the way to the table, right above where it says welcome. And put it on the table. Yeah, put them, you guys find a place to put them together and then come on back in. Yeah, stump, you're going to find out. Um, okay, so we've got the wise men out there. We're going to wait and we're going to have our first nativity character appear after Ben's sermon because Ben is going to be telling us about that huge arc of a story in the Bible. And that story starts with the forefathers, the patriarchs. The patriarchs mean old fathers, the ones who are the head of the family, okay? So we're starting with the patriarchs of the Bible. And we're going to hear how they were anticipating the Savior, and they were anticipating the fulfillment of the promises God made, and how that happened to Jesus. And they were eagerly waiting, just like we are eagerly waiting to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So I'm going to turn it over to Ben now, and um, kids, enjoy your coloring, and listen to what Pastor Ben has. Remember to listen, Advent, anticipation, you might even hear that, the patriarchs, and you're going to see a stump. So try to figure out why in the world are you coloring a stump right now. Thanks, guys. This Well, you've learned a lot about Advent. Learned a lot about the Word. And the only thing I'll add as we begin to think deeply about this history that Hallie talked about is that Advent for us a lot of times can mean the birth of the baby Jesus. But as, as the word Advent actually began to be used, it came after the birth of Christ. And it did look backward for those people, you know, back to the birth of Christ in the early part of this <clears throat> in the early part of this chapter of human history, but they were also looking forward at the same time. Advent had looked in both directions. Advent looking backward to the birth of Christ, Advent looking forward to the coming of the resurrected King Christ to rule over all creation. So as you kind of think about this, we are looking forward and, and thinking of the birth of Christ, but we're looking past that too, to the return of Christ, the resurrected King. We live in between the comings of Christ. So we were waiting, in a sense, for the birth of the baby Jesus, but we are still waiting. We can light these candles, we can tell these stories, we have these reminders, these visible symbols of an eternal, unchanging promise that's also unfolding slowly over time. Every time we tell the story, every breath we take, every day we wake up, we are getting closer and closer and closer to the risen Christ. Why do we do so much recognizing? Why do we talk so much about Advent? 
Well, the answer is simple but not easy. It's actually preparation. What we're doing in our minds, what we're doing in our hearts, what we're doing is, is getting ourselves ready. There's a scripture in Philippians talks about working out our salvation. Part of the way we work out our salvation is waiting because we're dependent. We cannot make Jesus do anything faster than what the Father has planned. So we're waiting. We're preparing ourselves. We're getting ready. One time, one of my pastors was preaching on patience. This was quite a few years ago, but he's preaching on patience. And when he got to the end, he said, now some of you are wondering what he's supposed to do. And he said, here's what you're supposed to do. Go to the grocery store and stand at the end of the aisles with all those registers in front of you and look for the one that's the longest. And the one that has that employee who seems like they're probably not that fast and they just chat with everybody and, and get in that line. And you're like, oh. It brings up the idea you can wait with frustration. You can wait with resentment. You can wait because you're like making yourself do the hard thing. You can wait with disappointment. I was a, a journalist. Uh, that's, that was part of my career journey was being a journalist. And I remember at the first paper I worked at going to, I was the police reporter in part. So, you know, I'd go to a lot of bank robberies, fires, police activity, car accidents, all these kind of things that, that, that end up in the paper. And so what ends up happening, though, is I hear about it on the police scanner. I zoom to the scene of whatever frustrating, bad situation it is, and I get all kind of set, and then I wait. Because when firefighters are doing their job or police officers are doing their job, there's no one sort of sitting around saying, well, maybe I'll tell the paper all about it and answer a bunch of questions. Like, it's called an emergency for a reason. So it's like, hurry up and wait. But the question becomes, how do we wait? Are we waiting with frustration? Are we waiting with, with resentment? Are we waiting because other people are busy? Well, the nature of waiting when it's God who's involved is to realize that we're waiting on a person. We're waiting with hope in God. And what I hope you'll realize over the month is that this waiting with hope in God starts to teach us the contours of preparation, starts to teach us the shape of how to think or how to feel or what to tell ourselves. Like Angela mentioned this week, having to kind of tell herself some things when the week was going downhill and not feeling so well. She had to like sort of I'm saying talk to herself. I don't think she said that. But she had to sort of help herself have hope. Waiting teaches us to do that, teaches us to think about God's promises, teaches us to prepare for the future. Hallie talked about the wise men making a long distance, which we're going to simulate from the welcome booth into here. There's all these people who've been waiting throughout history. There were these wise men. There were Persian astrologers looking up in the sky, seeing the star of David and following it. 400 years before those wise men, Alexander the Great thought he found a healing river of paradise. As part of his military journeys, he's out looking for this healing river of paradise. He thinks he finds it. You can look up the history. The Canary Islands have a tradition like this or an idea of this. Japan has one, Polynesia, England. They think they're going to go somewhere and find an, an eternal source of living water, some physical renewal through going into the water and being cleansed and being transformed. All of these people wandering the earth, hoping for the satisfaction of this deep longing. It was an earthly and a spiritual quest for them, these ancient individuals. They were thinking in earthly terms, literal river, but also spiritual terms. Find life that lasts forever. Find well-being that lasts forever. Personal transformation. Today, it looks pretty different. Maybe not so many people are thinking about spiritual life or transformation 
they're just thinking, I'd like genuinely amazing experiences. The satisfaction being sought is comfort or entertainment or pleasure, some deep sense of inner fulfillment, but not anything like we think of as satisfaction. This is how you end up with people saying, go see the Mayan ruins, take a Viking River cruise, get a Samsung S23 Galaxy Ultra, go climb Everest, go to France. I've never been to France, but people talk about the cuisine there. Go to Italy, eat your way across Italy, you know? And I'm saying, hey, this is great. If you wanna eat your way across Italy, great. You wanna climb Mount Everest, great. If you have a Samsung SG23 Galaxy Ultra, like by all means. Phone costs $1,100 apparently, but by all means, like if that, like I'm not taken away from all these kind of awesome experiences of the world, but whether it's the ancient approach, wandering all over creation, trying to find earthly and spiritual life, or whether it's just a more modern expression of these great, amazing experiences, both of those, I think, leave us unsatisfied compared to saying we're waiting on God. We're waiting on a person and his promises. Advent comes so that we can know what we're waiting for, why we're waiting for it, think about how we're waiting for it. And I, I'm going to mention Abraham at this point. He's right in that category of people who are waiting and wandering. And we're going to turn to Genesis 15 in a minute if you want to start scrolling up on your phone and look it up or find it in your Bible. Genesis 15, Abraham, he's this guy who's wandering and he's waiting and he's wondering and he's trusting God and he's living a life of faith. And honestly, he wandered around the earth a lot too. If you read his whole story, he kind of, he, he left where he was born, wanders down to what would be today's Israel, the promised land, but it wasn't then. He's wandering and waiting and trusting God. He's exploring and traveling and seeking. And what pushed him into the unknown what kind of urged him on in this journey was not the fountain of youth. It was not a river of healing paradise or something like that, like we we'll searched for. It certainly wasn't a Samsung. It certainly wasn't Everest. He wasn't trying to find some high mountain and looking for the finest in French cuisine. It was none of those things. It was God keeping him up. It was wondering about this God who had spoken to him when he lived in his homeland and said, come to me and follow me and I will do some things in your life. So turn with me to Genesis 15, if you haven't already. We'll read verses 1 through 15 in the end, but we're going to do 1 through 3 for right now. Verse 1 of Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? Since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. When the word of God creates the waiting of Abraham, God speaks. Someday later, God's going to act. That's the foundation of our waiting. Ultimately, we're saying God's going to act someday. But first, God speaks to Abraham's feelings. Then God makes a promise about his character and his relationship to Abram. He says, I'll be a shield to you. And then he makes a promise, your reward will be very great. What is Abram's reward? Well, in earlier chapters, like I said, he lived in another place. He worshiped other gods. He didn't even know the God of the Bible until the God of the Bible spoke to him and said, come into this life I have for you. He said, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you nation. I'm going to give you a blessing. And it sounds like a pretty good deal for Abram. Who would turn that down? 
probably no one. He doesn't. He trusts God. He goes. But chapter 13 happens, and there's no land, no nation, no blessing. Chapter 14 happens. No land, no nation, no blessing. Chapter 15, God says, I'll be a shield to you. I'll be a, your reward will be very great. Tomorrow's promise usually doesn't change today's reality. That's part of where Abraham starts. This promise from God doesn't change today's reality. There's always a gap when you're waiting, a gap between expectations and reality. And in chapter 15, God says, do not fear. I'll be a shield to you. I'll give you a great reward. And Abraham instinctively says, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? He's got this urge question that just kind of bursts forth. He can't not ask the question. And I wonder what's behind his question. Was he anxious? Was he fearful? I'm trying to put myself in the shoes and say, God's saying, I'm a shield to you, so there's some degree of protection going on. What's Abram's on his mind? I also thought maybe the opposite's true. Maybe Abram is not anxious or afraid or stressed out about all the relocation and disruption and unfulfilled promises in his life. Maybe when God says, I'll be a shield to you, Abraham says, I'm safe. I can tell God the truth. Maybe, in, maybe the reason he says, what will you give me, is because they had so much trust between them that Abram's like, I'm just going to tell you the truth. Like, you probably noticed I don't have an heir. I don't have a child in my house getting on up in years. If you were face-to-face -face with God, how would you respond? What would you bring up? Whatever your waiting involves, what would you bring up? Because Abraham brings up what he doesn't have. I think sometimes there can be like a pressure on us to say, just be thankful. Just always say the right things. Just go through the motions. But Abram brings up what he doesn't have. And that gives me some hope <laughs> for some of the days of my life. Because I'm inclined to immediately think of what I don't have. Immediately think of what's not finished yet. Immediately think of what I'm still eager to have. And Abram is too. And he's pointing out the obvious to God. Makes me feel a little better. And what God showed Abram is... My plan for you is bigger than you can perceive. You think you see the gap, Abram, but the gap is giant. And it's okay that you're talking about it. And in verses 4 to 6, we find out just how much bigger than Abraham's capacity it is. Verse 4 says, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, this servant who works in his house. This will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside <clears throat> and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then Abraham believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abram can't grasp the greatness of the Lord's plan. So God gives him instructions that help him wait with hope. Trusting God's promise requires accepting God's perspective requires you to stand where he tells you to stand and look up and actually see what he tells you to look at because he's trying to give you a sense of just how great his work is. There's another father who found himself as an unexpected dad. Abraham, quite honestly, got way more advance notice than the man I'm telling you about. This man was a Jew. He was betrothed to be married. It was like a settled deal. He was basically definitely going to get married but all of a sudden, he finds out that the woman he's promised to and, and culturally and legally bound to marry is actually pregnant, and he's not the father. 
And we could be moderns or we could be ancient Jews, but this is awkward, right? Like this, get, this is all kinds of relational problems right now. Things just got really difficult. There's a lot on the table. So this man says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send my almost wife, my legally, culturally wife, away that I'm promised to. I'm, I'm just going to send her away to try to do this in as gentle and least disrespectful way as possible. Just kind of make it as good as it can be. But God shocks this man. He says, marry her anyway. Marry her anyway. Joseph, I think, is the world's most surprised dad. Because he's like, time for you to raise somebody else's child. Well, whose child exactly? Oh, it's God's child. <laughs> you know, you can imagine, right? Like, Abraham, God, we're trying to follow you. You're telling me to look up at the stars. I'm saying I've only got one in my house. Joseph, hey, I'm doing the cultural right thing to do. I'm trying to be a man who's gentle and loving. I, I cared about this woman, but we got to marry her anyway. <laughs> this is the world's most unexpected moment. Raise the son of God who's begotten, not made. Like it's not my child, but it's God's child. And I'm supposed to wander around the village and like, just, you know, like, yeah, I'm teaching him to be a carpenter. Oh, really? What's he like? Well, he's the Messiah. So, you know, son of God, born of a virgin. Okay, Joseph. Talk about accepting God's perspective. Talk about trusting his promises. I got a little chance here for one more of us here. I don't know if there's any child left who hasn't participated. Are you brave enough? I see you there. You brave enough? We just, you just have to put Joseph. This is Joseph. That's, sorry. Yeah, you right there. So, All right. Matisse volunteered, so you can go next week. So, Matisse, thank you for helping and participating. This is Joseph. You don't have to be gentle with him. He's had a pretty rough life as it is. So you can put him right over here next to the nativity. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. This is Joseph. He is alone in the nativity. He is waiting all by himself, way out in faith. You know, Mary's technically pregnant, but Joseph's out there by himself. Abraham's standing under the stars by himself with a God who says, do something. And both of these men said, we're going to trust him. We're going to accept his promises. Do you believe that God has perfect timing? Your attitude reveals the answer. The Bible, of course, would say, well, yes, God has perfect timing, and he does. He brought forth Jesus at a perfect time, but how are you waiting? Generally, when I'm waiting for a while, like I kind of, I kind of see two potentials. I mean, if I'm having a super good day, which I've never had, then I can Im imagine a third. But here's the real two that come up. I'm waiting for something I want. I'm waiting for something. Even if I'm sure it's coming, functionally, I just kind of quit waiting. I just kind of eventually say to myself, that thing's never going to happen. Like, I mean, it, I guess I'm waiting because if God promised it, then it'll happen. But on the inside, I'm just not even waiting anymore. Like, I've quit. You know what I mean? I just give up. I'm not waiting anymore. I probably was, but I've just quit because it's so hard or so dark or so impossible or whatever that I just quit. The other time, I am waiting but my waiting has become like this gritty sort of grind. Instead of being joyful and hopeful and saying, man, I know God's got something good for me. I'm more like a plow horse, just kind of like dragging that plow through the dirt, 
Like, I'm waiting. Like, the garden will happen. We'll just pull the plow, you know, and I'm, like, gritting my teeth, and I'm downcast, and, like, people don't really want to see me, you know. Like, nobody's excited, right? Because I've just become this, this beast of burden, plodding through, pushing through, forcing myself through the waiting, grinding away at the unpleasant realities of it, and someday, you know, I'll be through it. Someday, the promise will be fulfilled. I don't know if I'll have any joy left by then. I don't even know if I'll remember why I'm doing it, but I'm just pushing through with drudgery. Well, it is always true that waiting comes with a cost, that waiting comes with tension, that waiting comes with struggle. I can't take that away. That's a reality for a lot of us. That's a reality for so many of us as we think about Christmas. It can be a little bit of a drain, a little bit of a drudge, a little bit of a saying, it's not exactly like this wonderful season that was, you know, pretty tough on November 30th, but whoo, December 1st is here and everything's better, you know? That doesn't necessarily happen. This is why yesterday I was in my backyard. I promised I would talk about this stump, this, this beautiful stump. My new neighbors are probably increasingly less likely to come over to the house because they look outside and I'm out there with a shovel and a machete. This was already dead, for the record. Like, I didn't kill a tree to get this. It was already dead. I looked around. I made my choices. And this was, like, the most manageable alternative. And once I got it out of the ground with the shovel and the machete, I was like, man, this kind of communicates what I want. (laughs) A lot of us feel like we have tried one time, two times, three times, four times, five times, six times, you know, how many ever more times... You got long, wiggly roots. We got short roots. We got stuff snapped off. We got big roots, really big roots. Got knots and bumps and all kinds of stuff everywhere. And, and it's, it's like, tried big roots, tried lots of small roots. What if we put a big one over here and a huge one over there? What if some are under the ground? What if some are, right? We try all these alternatives. But honestly, is there ever going to be life? This is the easiest question you've ever had in your life. Is this ever going to come to life? No. No. It was dead when I took it out of the ground. And if, it, if something can be more dead than dead, this is it. Like any shot that this had is dead. It's gone. It's over. There's nothing living out of that. And in Abram's life, and in Joseph standing alone in the manger, and in some of our modern day stuff, we're thinking to ourselves, there's nothing coming back to life. But the beauty of the Christmas story is God looked down and said, I'm going to make something dead bring out a shoot. And the scriptures call it the the shoot of Jesse. And they describe the family that David came from, Jesse's family, as like a, a stump. But there's this little sapling that shoots out of the stump. This little, little tiny spark of life comes out. And wait long enough, and that little shoot of life coming out of the stump of all the deadness and all the darkness and all the struggle, that little shoot popping out, given hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and untold number of prayers and people waiting with all of the faith that's in this room and all of the faith that was in all of those other rooms. And that little shoot is a baby born in a manger, the light of the world. Abram's waiting with hope, but he asks another question, which could have come from our mouths. Let's read verses 7 to 8. And God said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, Abram said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? 
as you can see, God reveals who he is and what he's done. I've, I've brought you out of Ur. I've done this great work. That was the old town Abram lived in. I brought you out of it. I've done this great work. And then Abram's faith comes out with yet another question. How am I to know that I'm going to possess it? The why questions in life are probably the hardest. In your life, you have your why questions. I have my why questions. Those why ones are tough. But the how questions are like this far below the why. You know, like they're not much easier. <laughs> how is God going to do this? How's my family going to turn around? How's my situation going to improve? How will things ever change? Well, that's what waiting does for you. Waiting teaches you God's promises are preparing me for his future. Can you wait with hope? Can you embrace the time after the promise as preparation for the future? If you'll prepare for the fulfillment, if you'll wait with hope, if you'll let trust change you from the inside out, you'll be a changed man and a changed woman. If you'll ask God your how questions, you'll find he has an answer. That's all Abraham's doing is saying, how are you going to do this? Like, I'm trusting you. I'm in. I'm looking at the stars. I'm, you know, I'm not in her anymore, God. We're, I'm way out here where you said to be. How are you going to do this? Because I'm looking around and I don't see a way. God's got an answer for Abram. And we'll close with verses 9 through 15. It's going to get a little strange. It's not what, probably not what you've experienced with God. Verse 9, so God said to Abram, bring me a three-year-old heifer, and a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to God, and cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. These are some hair-raising verses. <laughs> I'm not going to read them again, but if you're not kind of like, oh, what's going on here? I'm not sure you paid attention. You may need to do it again. The first part makes sense. Anim uh, Abram's basically making an animal sacrifice. So he's, that was kind of a common way to worship God, long story short. But then he falls asleep. The sun goes down, which sounds normal, except for what follows it. While he's asleep, he has this deep sleep. This terror falls upon him. And it's in this place where God speaks. It's in the darkness it's in Abram's sleep where he can't cognitively sort of process anymore his life. He's not awake looking at the stars. He's not dialoguing with God. He's asleep, and there's this physical darkness and this emotional darkness, but it brings out the promise of God to be in that place. Abram's worshiped God. He's obeyed God, and now he's sleeping. And in that darkness, God's clarity becomes real to Abram. It says that first, satanic opposition is going to push Abram's descendants into slavery. But they're going to come out of that. The promise, that, that delays the promise, but it doesn't deny the promise. It doesn't stop the promise. It doesn't overcome the promise. It just delays it for a long, long time. But unlike me, God's saying, don't just get drudgerous. Don't just like push through and force your way through and grit your teeth and be miserable for 400 years. But know that I told you it was coming in advance. 
Don't be discouraged. After God judges that nation, Abram's descendants are going to come out with many possessions. I will do what I said. That's God's promise to Abraham. I'll be a shield. Your reward will be great. I'll do what I said. But you're not going to see it finished, Abram. You're kind of going to see the beginning of it, but you're not going to see it finished. The answer to your how questions and my how questions, how can this be? How how is this going to turn around? They might be shocking to you. That's what I suggest from these verses 9 to 15. They might shock you. They might be strange, but they will be satisfactory because they will be God's word to you. They will be the way that God chooses to tell you, I am keeping my promises. I don't know if there'll be visions in your sleep. I don't know if there'll be deep darkness. I don't know if it'll be hard to understand statements from God, but I'm not ruling them out. I'm just saying the how questions you have will be met by God's shocking yet satisfactory answers. There's a book called Jaber Crow by Wendell Berry. Anybody read Jaber Crow by Wendell Berry? Somebody recommended me read it many, many years ago. And very short summary, Jaber Crow is a young adult. I think, I don't exactly recall, but we'll say early 20s. He lives in a small town in Kentucky. And in his life, he begins to understand God a little bit. And he starts to somehow feel like, I should go to Bible college and get trained to go be a pastor and work around in Kentucky and have some kind of ministry in Kentucky. So Jaber Crow goes to this Bible college in a rural place in Kentucky, and he's in his classes, and as the classes go on, he starts to realize, I have a lot of questions. So he starts taking his questions to his professors because he doesn't know who else to go to. He kind of came to this light late in his life, and he goes to these, this professor, and he starts asking these big spiritual questions. These like tough ones, you know, you got your tough ones and he's got his and he's, he's asking his tough questions. And as they kind of just go on and on and on, finally his professor looks at him and he says, you have been given questions to which you cannot be given answers. You will have to live them out, perhaps a little at a time. And Jaber Crow, just like Abraham says, how long is that going to take? which is what some of you would say too. And the professor says, I don't know. Maybe as long as you live. And Jaber says, that could be a long time. (laughs) And then the professor looks at him and blows his mind. The professor says, it might take longer. It might take longer. It's a further mystery, the professor says. It may take longer. Let's pray. Jesus, all we know is that we're waiting on you. Parts of our story are like Abraham. Parts of our story are like Joseph. Parts of our story are like Mary. Parts of our story are completely unique to us. But what we can discover is that we can wait with hope because you've come. We can wait with hope because you're a God who keeps your promises. And when we wait with hope, we don't just choose the longest line at the grocery store. And we don't just have like the satisfaction that comes from great food or best phones or whatever else. We find out that all along we've been waiting and we've been trusting and we've been growing. And that more and more and more you satisfy us in ways that are shocking, but they satisfy us. They answer our questions. They meet our needs. Our deepest need is for Jesus. And we know that you came once and you're coming again. And we thank you and we praise you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As you go today, you've heard that 
a watched pot never boils. That's what I was told growing up when I was hungry and my parents wanted me to get out of the kitchen. A watched pot never boils, which is a little bit nicer way to say get out of the kitchen. You didn't come here for culinary tips and family stories, of course, but I want to send you out with something better. Waiting with hope never fails to transform you. You can do better than drudgery. You can do better than discouragement. You can be, I get it, we're frustrated. We have these feelings. It's okay if this week doesn't go perfectly. But just know that God enables you to wait with hope in him. You can accept God's promises which prepare you for his future. When you've been waiting God's way, you'll find out that the shape of that waiting as it comes into focus more and more and more is the shape of Christ, the person of Christ, the son who came for you. It doesn't seem like it. That sounds like the most sort of philosophical stuff to say ever, but it's so true. You're going to find out I've been waiting for him. And I didn't even fully grasp it, but wow, he satisfies every need I have. The shape of your hope is a king on his throne, the king who came and lived and died for you. Go in peace this week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen.